What happens when observability becomes a commodity and independently brokered via a third party? Let's find out today. Are you ready? Let's go. This is the Modern Digital Business Podcast, the technical leader's guide to modernizing your applications and digital business. Whether you're a business technology leader or a small business innovator, keeping up with the digital business revolution is a must. Here to help make it easier with actionable insights and recommendations, as well as thoughtful interviews with industry experts, Lee Acheson. My guest today is Jeff Martins, who is the co-founder and CEO of Metris, a customizable observability platform. Jeff, welcome to Modern Digital Business. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a while. We've been, uh, you know, we were both in New Relic together, and I'm not sure what what year did you leave New Relic? I was I was at New Relic from uh, from 2014 until early 2017. Without getting too deep into the story, I, I met my wife while working at New Relic, and uh, we decided we wanted to live in the same city, so I moved to San Francisco. And at that time, uh, I decided to join PagerDuty to do you know some similar stuff that I was doing at uh, at New Relic, but do it over there. Cool, cool. And then now you're the you started your own company. I did, yeah. My co-founder and I uh, met while we were working together at PagerDuty. Uh, he was one of the one of the earliest employees at the company, and um, uh, we met working there. And we both saw a similar problem, but from different perspectives. Uh, you know, in the observability and instant response space, and we decided that we were the right people to build it, and that the world needed it. So we went for it. So, if I were to describe Metris, it, what it seems to me is it's kind of an an all-encompassing, customizable, observability, aggregation platform. Did I throw enough words into there? Well, how would you describe Metro? Yeah, so I mean, it, it is highly customizable, but it but it's actually not an all-in-one platform. It's really focused on one specific thing that we believe uh, has been underobserved and underappreciated. And the focus of Metrist is to provide direct observability of the cloud products that we build on and build with. Um, we, we know that, uh, you know, as software professionals, we have more options than ever before when it comes to observing our own software. Uh, but what my co-founder and I, uh, believe is that, uh, you know, apps are built on top of other apps. So whether mm -hmm. that is your, um, uh, you know, a, a dozen different AWS products uh, that you stitch together for your cloud infrastructure or your APIs like Stripe or easy post, or even your developer tools like Circus AI and GitHub. Um, the reliability of those products is becoming so important to our own reliability. Uh, most observability products don't offer uh, direct insights on the functionality, the performance, or the availability of these important third parties. And so that's why Metrist exists, is we exist to give you a similar level of visibility into these third parties as you might get into uh, the software you build yourself uh, using observability tools like a new relic or a Datadog. That's a great way to put it. And quite honestly, I miss that in my analysis of looking at what, what you were doing. Is I, I saw that you, you kind of had this three-tier uh, strategy, you know, the black box end to end functional testing, the white box, kind of the data dog, new relic sort of mm -hmm. structure, and then the status page live feeds. What I missed is the yeah. focus on that being on third party apps versus your own apps. 
Yeah. And, and honestly, that's on us. You know, we're a startup. Uh, we've, you know, we've been around for less than two years and uh, we just launched our product recently. And so, you know, there's a lot that we probably have to, to think through and adjust on our messaging. So it's definitely not on you for missing that. It's on us for not communicating that well. No, no, that's, that's great. But that actually helps. And, and it puts a, a, a good structure and foundation into what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, so, you know, you're, you know, let, let, let's go through a, maybe a, 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 a classic example. So someone builds a, a web application and it uses a backend, like for instance, Stripe or, um, you know, the, one of a number of other uh, SaaS providers for their application. Um, if you have a better example than Stripe, that's fine. But so tell me specifically what you do in those cases. Yeah, well, uh, you know, if you don't mind me doing so, uh, let me tell you a quick story about how we got started, because it actually touches on this exact example you just gave. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in a room of, um, you know, technology leaders, and we were talking about where incidents were coming from and what, what were some of the most concerning causes of customer-facing downtime. And an SRE manager at a uh, retailer that does over a billion dollars a year online said, you know what, my biggest problem is new and it's concerning me. And it's that my payment provider, their API is the cause of 80% of my customer facing downtime. Oh, but wow. I have no way to uh, easily answer the question, is it me or is it them, when we do experience a problem? And more concerningly, I have no way to hold this per this vendor accountable to what their SLAs are. We, we can't have discussions about this that are effective because we don't have the same data about how reliable they are. And, mm. and for the record, this is, they did not use Stripe. Stripe is a highly reliable product. Um, but but that th that's a real example. Um, and it's not just payment providers. Um, data shows that most digital businesses use over 100 uh, third-party cloud products to run their product or run their business. We found that a typical uh, software product is going to rely directly on 40 to 50 different products. So something like a Stripe is just one of them. Right. And right. so to, to get to your question about like, you know, well, what do we do for that scenario? What Metrist uh, does is we provide metrics uh, that directly define the functionality, performance, and availability of those products. And when I say directly, uh, it's because of a key piece of what we do. And that is, um, you know, we do end-to-end uh, -end functional testing or what you might call black box testing, where uh, if we were to take something like Amazon EC2, for example, uh, we have scripts that every two minutes from five different regions, uh, we attempt to spin up an EC2 instance, uh, talk to that instance, spin down that instance, and then also attempt to talk to a long running instance that we always have going. Um, okay. And so that's something that we do ourselves to paint, up, paint a baseline, but we also empower our customers to do that against their own uh, cloud accounts, whether that's AWS or Stripe or anywhere else. So it's very similar to like synthetic monitoring, but instead right. of pointing the synthetic test inward at our own apps, we're pointing them outward uh, so they can directly observe uh, the cloud products that we rely on. And then cool. the other two types of data you mentioned, you know, we do have an agent that can observe calls and the we have status page feeds. Uh, 
with, with those two additional types of data, the goal is really to paint a complete picture where we're putting everything we can about the real-time health of a service. We're trying to put that all in one place. So you don't have to go look at a bunch of status pages. You don't have to infer service health from your APM metrics. And you're not on Twitter asking other people if they're having problems too. Right, right. So the, the black box functional testing is focused outwards from the application. But the white box yeah. in-app monitoring, the, the agent-based monitoring, that's inwards, more like a like a traditional data dog or new relic might do. And then the status exactly. page live feeds obviously are outward is focused as well too. But you you combine exactly. all that together. Okay. Yep. Yep. And we're trying to paint, I like to say we're trying to paint the largest, but also the most detailed picture of cloud dependency health. Right, right. And your focus is on the merging of that information to look for trends or analysis that you can use to compare back and forth between them. So if you notice something going askew with one type of monitoring, can you notice it in the other type to see whether or not there's a commonality to the results and that sort of thing? Is that a, a fair statement? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. And in addition to comparing the different data types, uh, we also have a vision of aggregating the data together from uh, all of our customers and users, and now being able to paint another level of detail about uh, how these services are working by saying, okay, well, what does Metro see? What do I, the customer, see? And what do all of Metro's other customers see? And, and really, again, the goal is to help us answer, you know, is it me or is it them? But also, you know, what's happening? Um, what are the details? What, what parts of the product are down? What regions are having issues? Um, you know, what, what is the issue? Is it a timeout? Are we getting a certain kind of error code? Um, and is there anything I can do about it? And if so, you know, what is that? So you can imagine a future here where uh, a, a company, a SaaS company, um, uses... Um, uh, your product to um, monitor their own application and their own downstream dependencies, but also provides a service to their customers where they provide metrics uh, data outwards for their customers to see how their service is operating. Yes, you hit the nail on the head. It's almost like you're in my brain. That is that is the exact <laughs> vision. Uh, today, we are offering uh, the fastest, most reliable way to find out about or verify uh, third-party dependency issues. But in the future, we really see ourselves as a data broker between um, cloud products and those and the users of those cloud products. Uh, you know, we see a future where you know we are not only helping the users of a cloud product understand the reliability both in real time and trending over time, but also a future where that cloud vendor themselves says, "Hey, we would love to have this information about how our customers are experiencing our product from the outside." Uh, and I think that's important because when uh, when software is primarily experienced via a web app or mobile app, we have great tools. We have real user monitoring from you know the new relics and the data dogs of the world. But when products are uh, primarily experienced via API and other types of integrations, and when they go through multiple hops where they might be uh, they might have um, a role being played by a lot of other third parties. 
uh, all of a sudden it gets really hard to do that. So if you think about like PagerDuty, where I used to work, uh, PagerDuty does have a web and mobile app, but the primary functionality of PagerDuty is you send in an event and uh, that event gets turned into a, an incident and alerts come back. Uh, mm-hmm. But to do that, we're now mixing together um, a bunch of APIs, a bunch of microservices inside PagerDuty, and then a bunch of uh, third-party telephony so providers to make sure that all happens. And it gets really hard to understand a very specific uh, customer's user experience when the app looks like that. And that's where Metrist can make a difference. Um, And we can help uh, cloud vendors understand, you know, their users experience in real time. And, you know, we've already been doing this for, for our customers for a while. We're telling them about issues uh, before their APM monitoring picks it up and well before their vendors have updated their status page. Uh, so, you know, we believe that this approach we are taking is the fastest way for anybody to find out about or verify issues, whether it's the cloud vendor or the customer. Let's talk about who your major competitors are. Now, you're not really, you're, you're primarily an aggregation service, but you do have some places where you compete with, with other companies. Like for instance, you know, Pingdom is a company that does end-to-end functional testing. And obviously Datadog and New Relic are, are major in-app white box testing solutions. So mm-hmm. how do you compare with them? And do you see them as competitors or do you see them as potential partners in the future? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And, um, you know, every, every company, every startup has competitors, uh, right. you know, but the question is, you know, like what type are they and, and how competitive are they? Uh, so for us, um, there's pr- two primary uh, sources of competition. The first one is, you know, using an APM solution like a Datadog or New Relic, and they will give you a ton of great information. But when it comes to third parties, you tend to have to infer what's happening. And they they can typically tell you there seems to be something going on with this call you're making to this third party. Um, you should probably go figure it out. But the question is still left, is it me or is it them? Uh, because right. when you are, are monitoring from the inside, there's so many other factors that can be at play. Right. Um, but that is, that is where we see most people trying to solve this problem is with the data they already have. Uh, now, on the other side, as you mentioned, like uh, like a Pingdom or, you know, even a synthetic monitoring product uh, from these other uh, observability tools we've talked about, um, these can also uh, provide a, a, the type of information that Metris does. But uh, two things, they tend to be marketed differently. They're marketed for, well, just point, you know, point our synthetic tool at yourself and monitor yourself. Um, and of course, you can script some some rather complex workflows with some of these synthetic products, um, but it's it's uh, it can be less about the functionality of the product you're using and more about you know is it available. And so where Metris differs is um, you know we do what we consider to be functional testing, where um, you know we're trying to evaluate specifically the functionality of a service. So if the service promises that you can spin up VMs and talk to VMs, uh, the steps in our end-to-end tests will look specifically at that and say, um, you know, yes, we were able to do the thing that they promised they can do. 
it's not just this API is available or that information is flowing through a service. Uh, we're looking for um, success of the core thing that they do. And then I think that the final thing that would make us different is that we are entirely focused on third parties. Um, one of our customers was telling us recently that after they do a new deploy, they actually go to our dashboard and watch the real-time uh, monitoring metrics specifically for their third parties because it was the most reliable way to understand uh, if their deploy was successful or not. So even though they had Datadog and a bunch of other metrics that they could look at, they found that uh, focusing on the third parties and understanding how their apps were communicating outside of their boundaries uh, was the best way to understand uh, their the, the health of their deploy. And so I think cool. that focus is something that is really unique, especially when we're using 40 or 50 different third parties uh, to power right. our products. Right. That's cool. That's interesting. Um, you know, I imagine that, you know, given that your focus is on uh, external entity talking to other external entities and, and whether it's working or not and how all that works, I imagine that, um, you know, a, a big source of the types of issues you see tend to be networking issues, right? You know, like, and, 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 and oftentimes this way, the way this works out in third parties is, you know, the, uh, is is AWS down? Yes or no? No, they're not down, but um, people in this area are not seeing them because of some networking issue. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know, are you, are you seeing the problem because it's your problem or are you seeing the problem because a few people are running into it? So it's their problem, but they haven't seen it yet because it's not widespread. You know, a lot of that sort of stuff. I imagine you could get visibility into those, those sorts of issues too, eventually as you start growing this database of um of of users essentially is that is that a true statement and do you see value in that yeah I, it's absolutely true and, and we're already seeing a lot of it today so for for the out of the box metrics that we provide for any user that signs up before they even start getting their own customized metrics uh, those out of the box metrics are already multi-region and multi-cloud so we are monitoring um 67 different uh, cloud products natively out of the box. Um, and uh, we do it from Azure, GCP, and AWS, utilizing all of the public North American regions for all of those services. Uh, so we're already seeing um, a, a really broad and interesting point of view that allows us to understand, you know, is this a networking issue or is this a service issue? You know, is it is it one region or is it all regions? Um, you know, or, you know, is it connectivity between this cloud and this cloud? Uh, and that's only going to get better and deeper. Uh, you know, as we continue to build out, build out the different points of view we have as our customers continue to adopt our installable software that can give them the same visibility, but from their own cloud infrastructure, testing against their own accounts with the 40 or 50 cloud products they use. Right, right. So I imagine, too, as we start seeing an increase in, you know, multi-cloud and poly-cloud environments that, uh, uh, you know, the the connectivity and the uh, between cloud providers is going to be important there too. And I imagine you can not only tell, um, you know, is AWS working fine in this region, but is the connectivity with Google cloud working fine or is the connectivity with some other, you know, 
major uh, providers yeah. working correctly. And I can imagine that would be useful as well. You know, Stripe's working, but not from uh, U.S. East, you know, um, uh, U.S. East too, right? You know, it's it, you know, exactly. that sort of data would be very valuable for someone trying, trying to diagnose a problem with, a, with talking to Stripe in that case. Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. And, you know, we're doing that today and we can definitely spot the difference already between a service issue and a network issue. But there's also a lot of other stuff that I think is really interesting that we're already doing today. Um, you know, one of the things that that might sound rather, um, you know, like rather run of the mill, but can be really important for people to have is um, information about uh, resource limitations. Uh, so frequently we get responses from a cloud product, uh, you know, like an AWS and Azure GCP that says, sorry, we're out of resources in this region. We can't complete this request. And so we're also seeing, um, you know, we're painting a picture uh, of how, how, you know, much utilization is happening in these uh, different cloud providers and all their different regions, but also using that to help somebody understand like, hey, the reason you couldn't spin up a VM is because they're out of resources. And we can tell you that oftentimes even before you need to go do it. Oh, uh, so the fact that other people had problems spinning up means that you can predict for your, your customers that they're going to have problems or... Uh, um, potentially, I mean, I, you know, I think we, we, I think most of us know that, you know, a lot, a lot of the resource limitations are account specific. You know, if you request yeah, from right. your AM, you know, your account manager, there are those issues, right. resources, yeah. but, um, but, but we already have a really interesting point of view of where, you know, resource issues are happening. And, uh, one of those three major cloud providers went through a pretty rough period for a couple of weeks this summer. And, uh, Every Monday morning, uh, you know, our local time on the West Coast at around nine, nine, between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m., uh, we started seeing uh, across a couple of their products, um, you know, errors in our ability to test with uh, an error message that said, sorry, we're out of resources. And then in the evening, it would kind of, you know, uh, ease <laughs> up a bit. And then it would typically go through Thursday. And we noticed on Fridays, they didn't have this problem as much. Um, yeah. And so, it, so, so it's a pretty interesting level of of insight we can get. Um, another one that, that another way that we're helping our customers already today is you know understanding uh, like API changes. So, um, a database product for one of the three you know, major cloud providers, uh, they decided to make a change in a required field uh, for their API. And we spotted that right away because we continuously test and monitor. So it went from being, you know, perfectly functional every two minutes when we try to do something to we started getting failures uh, about 50% of the time in one region. Mm. Uh, and then the next day, uh, it was it was 100% of the time in that region. And a couple of days later, we started seeing issues, uh, you know, 50% of the time in another region. And what we did, what we were able to help our customers understand is that uh, they were expecting um, a specific field, you know, now when in the past they weren't expecting it, they were clearly rolling it out first to one, one availability, you know, whatever they called in their platform to the next one and then to the next region. Um, and so, uh, those are the kind of things that impact our ability to use these products. And without having some level of direct observability, uh, it can look like it's just an outage on their part, which in this case it wasn't, or it can look like you did something wrong, which in this case you didn't really, but you kind of did because, um, you know, you weren't passing in the field. Uh, but, 
but maybe it's not your fault because no one told you about it. Uh, mm. And so, so it's the kind of thing where we hear customers say that those kind of changes take days to resolve. And they're typically talking to, you know, a customer success and customer support person, at, you know, with the cloud vendor, everyone's looking at data and finally somebody stumbles across it. Uh, we can cut that time, you know, significantly down by observing what's changing uh, and what's staying the same through our continuous and constant monitoring. That is really cool. That, that's a great use case. I mean, I've, the number of times that I've tried to diagnose problems like it's 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 a it's it's a it's a scary use case because you one of the things you look for is if something stopped working, what changed around the time that it stopped working. But in this case, you have no visibility in what changed, but you're giving visibility yep. into what changed. Yeah, so that's, exactly. That's incredibly, incredibly useful. That's great. That's great. Um, so you and I t uh, uh, caught up with each other at reInvent this year. That's, I think, where the idea for this episode came. Uh, came yeah, out. it was so, great to see you. Yeah, it was great to see you there, yeah. Um, and as it, it's as large of a conference as always. It, it, it was, I was amazed mostly that it didn't, you know, it, even with COVID uh, having gone for the last couple of years and affecting the conference dramatically, people were back. And, you know, I don't know if it was as big as it was three years ago or if it was a little bit bigger or what it was, but it was clearly a large conference and clearly it it was back in stride with what I was doing before. So that was kind of the thing that probably surprised me the most about reInvent this year. What what surprised you the most? Yeah, well, you know, at first I have to agree, it felt bigger than it has ever been before. And that's an interesting thing because, you know, one of the reasons that a lot of us go, one of the reasons I go is because I know I can see and meet with and talk to everybody I want to. Uh, so right. the fact that it's big is uh, a benefit, but it's starting to feel like it, maybe it's becoming more of a live, more of a liability. It was just so big and so hard uh, to navigate this year. So I think that was something, you know, maybe not a surprise because we know that it grows, you know, absent COVID it's been, it grows every year. Um, you know, but for me, I think the other big surprise was, uh, you know, how, how lackluster the announcements felt. And, and yeah, I don't mean that yeah. as a criticism of AWS, because I think it is, you know, probably one of the most incredible uh, uh, companies or groups or products we've ever seen before. But I think what it is showing us is that AWS uh, is now, uh, you know, it, it, it is as big as, you know, probably it needs to be. It does a lot for us. A lot of those big, exciting announcements of new things, um, you know, they're not they're not needed anymore or there's just not room for them anymore because we have such a mature uh, ecosystem from AWS. And so the announcements right. are changing. And right. you know, you're no longer seeing the, here's 20 brand new services that we've never thought of before that are being launched this year. And, and yeah. you're not seeing that, you're seeing maturation of existing services. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, maybe the one area that that is not entirely true for uh, is in the AI space. You know, I think we did see a few things there, but that is yeah. still more of a specialized uh, thing. And I think a lot of our industry is still figuring it out that, you know, it was, you know, maybe for at least for me, some of those might have been over my head, uh, but maybe they are as exciting, but they're still in a space that is being, you know, kind of explored and figured out. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, AI and machine learning with the cloud. I'm, 
I, you know, I'm not an expert in that space either. I don't understand most of the new services that are coming out and what all they do and how they work. But what I do see is that, you know, the, 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 the increasing growth in the availability of AI in everyday products is amazing, is astronomical. And that growth has coincided ex- directly with the, the growth of the cloud. And that's because AI really is dependent on the cloud in order to accomplish what it's trying to accomplish. But what are the two things you need for a good AI system? Tons of data and tons of horsepower and CPU. Both of those are available um, in spades in the cloud, and the cloud yeah. makes it easier for an arbitrary application to have available to it the data and the computation that it needs in order to do either simple or complex AI processing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, we have cloud infrastructure because it was becoming more and more complex for us all to do it on our own. And so we have these, you know, these incredible resources and abstraction layers that make it so easy for us to have cloud infrastructure. And when I think about AI, um, I suspect the complexity there is, you know, tenfold what it was, you know, to set up our own, our own servers. Uh, And so, um, the importance of the cloud is going to be, you know, uh, critical for AI to take off. Um, you know, for me, chat GPT was really the aha moment I had, like, of course, we've all been talking <laughs> about AI for a long time. And I'm like, yeah, of course, it's going to change the way we do business and we'll see it soon. And, and I kept saying that, and it wasn't until using chat GPT that I had my aha moment of, oh my gosh, this is going to change absolutely everything. But to your point, um, I I don't think most people appreciate or understand the amount of data and horsepower that is behind something like that. Like it is, it is an astronomical amount that is making all of that happen. And that was just one program to showcase what it could do. Uh, for all of us to implement that kind of intelligence into our applications, it is going to take the level of innovation, you know, abstraction, but also access to resources that we can get uh, from, you know, the major cloud providers. Right, right. Yeah, I, I heard you, know, you were talking about uh, ChatGPT. Um, I heard Google this week, and uh, we're recording this in uh, – uh, in the middle of December right now. Um, I'm not sure when it's going to be uh, be live, but uh, we're, we, we're recording this episode in the middle of December. But just this last week, uh, Google issued a red alert to their entire uh, engineering force, um, basically saying ChatGPT is going to be a major threat to us. And it, wow. it's amazing that Google would do that widespread of a of a of a of a concern and a public announcement about that, but they see that technology as a direct competition to their Google search engine and algorithms. And so, uh, you know, this is big deal. This is something that really is happening. Is really going to be affecting the way we interact with with our digital world. You know, very very soon. If well, already, but even more so as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, I can say as a user of Google, but also as somebody that's played around with ChatGPT, I have already used ChatGPT for things I would have otherwise used Google for. 
Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, without even thinking about it, I didn't consciously think, oh, instead of using Google, I should just go try ChatGPT. The the whole interactive nature and the 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 way that you get an actual response instead of a list of links, it just made it uh, inherently. I wanted to go ask my question to Jet chat gpt instead of googling it yeah. um and so, so 20 people that. in google just had a heart attack for your <laughs> for your yeah, response there yeah. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but i mean you know google has been trying to do or, or introducing us to these kind of concepts for a long time right like you right, know they've been right. summarizing things like when you search something they've been there have been opportunities where they've said look you don't need to go click this link we'll just give you that answer um, you know, it probably does have a little, you know, their business model might have to change, but there's no reason why Google can't be the leader in this space uh, themselves. Uh, oh, absolutely. They have the technology. They just need to, yep. to make it happen. They have data and horse, yeah. they have data and horsepower. Um, and when it comes yeah. to search and answers, they probably have the most data of anyone out there. Um, oh, absolutely. So, do. Yeah. so I think they're well positioned if they want to. And I'm sure that's, that was probably part of this warning to their engineering org. It's not a warning of be scared. It's a warning that said, it's time for us to execute and go do something like this. Yeah, I have no doubt that they're capable. Absolutely. Yeah, because they've, they've really been the leaders in AI and machine learning uh, as far as a tech, technology fundamental yeah. technology back in for many years now. You know, yes, Amazon's been doing a lot, but, you know, really, you know, some of, I, I kind of look back at some of my early, uh, um, earlier, I should say, uh, cloud articles that talked about uh, uh, use cases of polycloud, where why would you use one cloud provider over another? And one of the reasons I, I always use as an example is because you want to use the AI capabilities of Google versus AWS. Now I don't do that as much anymore because AWS has obviously been focusing a lot on uh, on AI, but it just goes back to show you that if you go back just a few years, just like three or four years, maybe five years because of pandemic time, you know, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago when AWS was relatively new to AI as a service within the AWS ecosystem, but Google was really the leader there. Yep. Yep. And, you know, you know, Azure has also had some of their own advantages. Um, interestingly, my first startup before you and I met working together at New Relic, my first startup was a uh, an API for service serverless workloads that could be sent to uh, any of five cloud providers. And through that work, you know, one of the things we were doing was benchmarking and testing. And, and this was a number of years ago, but we did find distinct differences in performance uh, for the different cloud products, depending on what your workload was. So, uh, one example of that was if we need to do anything at, at that time with any kind of graphic, you know, rendering, um, uh, or digital, um, you know, art, we found Azure was more performant than the other options. And so that does, I think, still exist today. I, it's probably less of a of a gap because I think it's so much cheaper and easier to deliver performance now. Um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of a lot of reasons you might use one cloud or another. And, and coming from the world of Metrist, where we monitor, um, I think it's about I think it's thirty or thirty five products across AWS, GCP, and Azure from a reliability, performance, functionality, and even resource availability standpoint, we can tell you uh, that there are differences between those three cloud providers. 
And so mm. if one of those things deeply matters to you, uh, we have that data to help you understand that. And I don't think that's just for the major cloud platforms. I think that goes across all products, um, you know, whether that's a payment API or a tax calculation uh, API, we need to make sure as you know, software professionals that we're using products who support our reliability goals uh, and needs and not detracts from them. And there's another interesting use case for Metris is to, to uh, use it as part of the decision process and which vendor do I use for what part of what service because you have all that data of how well they perform. Yeah. We do, and you know, uh, you know, uh, I think one of the problems or will with, have as you grow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and we already do. I can give you some examples of some early stuff we're doing, but you know, before that, one of the problems I think we have with SaaS is that it's so easy to just start using a cloud product um, that oftentimes we start integrating with one without truly understanding how performant or reliable they are, right. and it isn't until until we're six or nine months into our one year contract with them that we understand you know if they support or detract from our own reliability needs and I hear from customers all the time like, "Oh, we started using this product because everyone else uses it for that the thing it does." But now we're finding that, you know, a huge chunk of our incidents are caused by them. And I wish I would have known this when we started. And, and that's where, where Metrist can make a difference. Now, a lot of these vendors will say, oh, just look at our status page. We're transparent with you about everything. And uh, as much as I would love for that to be true, it's, it's just not true. And an example, I won't call out who this cloud vendor is, but an example uh, from just a few weeks ago was, um, you know, Metrist continuously monitors this specific cloud vendor, uh, five different, you know, core functionalities that it offers. And we saw one of them uh, started to degrade when it's usually very, very consistent with its performance. It started to, to degrade because of some really, really uh, out of the norm latency. That happened for about an hour before we noticed that the service just started failing. And they didn't update their status page for almost two more hours. And I think it's because this happened uh, around midnight and I'm sure you know people weren't as responsive to the pages they were getting. And once they did update their status page, uh, 17 minutes later, they fixed their problem and they closed the incident on their status page. So if you were to go to their status page today, they would say that, yep, a couple weeks ago, we had a 17 minute outage. Look how transparent we're being. But our data shows that it was about a two hour outage. And, and uh, no you know, they, they're just counting. <laughs> yeah, they're counting the time based on when they updated their status page, not when the issue started. And the real reason is they didn't even know they were having an issue for almost two hours. So, right. you know, Metris comes to play here. So any user of this product uh, could have known about the issue almost two hours sooner if they were using us. Um, uh, or at least verified it. Oftentimes we know what the issue is. We just need to verify it before we take action. Uh, but the second thing is, is if this cloud vendor was a customer of ours, we probably would have told them about it before any of their internal monitoring did, you know, a, a, up to two hours sooner. And so I think, I think having this, this kind of independent reliability data is good for everybody. Um, you know, we don't exist to, to, to call out cloud vendors. We want them to be better. And we think most of them want to be better. Uh, so Metrist exists to provide this data to both, you know, vendors and customers so they can have honest conversations and work together to improve reliability um, and improve our services. 
Cool. Well, that's great. That's great. So, so we're kind of running near the end here, but what, why don't you help me with uh, an answer to one more question? So what we talked about why you started uh, Metris and, and how the idea evolved and how you got the company going. But what's next for Metris? What, what's your plans for you know, 2023, 2024? What, where are you going with Metris? Yeah, it's a great question. We have a we have a big vision. Uh, you, you know, I, I think I shared earlier. You know, today we are really a product that helps you find out about and verify issues with cloud dependencies. You know, 10, 20, 30 minutes faster than you would otherwise, and that in itself is a huge value because this is a problem that nearly everybody that builds and maintains software has. But that is just the start for us. That's kind of the foundational level. So we see a world where, you know, not only we're we finding out about it, um, we're providing a, a deep level of detail uh, so you can understand, well, what changed? What is happening? What is the behavior um, that's coming from this cloud product that I rely on so much? Uh, from there, we see... Uh, an opportunity to avoid impact with automation. Um, we have a customer doing this today where they um, they subscribe to our webhooks for a couple of the core uh, cloud uh, platforms that they rely on. And if they, if they get a sense of a problem based on what Metrist uh, is seeing, they automate, you know, pausing of their CICD pipeline so they don't run the risk of, you know, deploying when something is that they depend on is in a bad state. But I think right. that could go even farther. Uh, if you use Stripe, uh, you might want to have a backup just in case they have a rare outage. So, you know, could Metris send somebody a, uh, a webhook that said, you know what, we think there's an issue about to hit you because of what we're seeing from all these different customers all over the world and how they're using this product. We think there's a problem oh, coming. Wow. coming. Here's, a, here's our confidence interval. You know, it's a 60%. We're 60% confident you're going to have an issue in the next two, three, four minutes. You know, how could you use that to take programmatic action to either avoid an incident or respond faster, you know, or mitigate the impact? Um, yeah, and, and it's, then it's an that's an amazing capability because uh, in a lot of cases, like for instance, let's say a, a payment provider, you, you can't easily just switch from one payment provider to another, and you know when a problem occurs. But if you had a few minutes notice, you could transition from one provider to another automatically and not have any downtime at all. It's, Absolutely, it'd, it'd be and very reasonable to be able to do that. Absolutely. And if you are, you know, if your business, uh, you know, relies on, you know, payments happening every second, every minute, you know, it might be worth it for you to, to, exactly. to put that effort into it. And, you know, like the example I gave earlier with a, a cloud vendor, we saw degradation an hour before the outage started. Now that's in hindsight. And it's easy to say in hindsight that, you know, we saw an, an issue coming at the time. We couldn't have told you that they were about to go down, but I think with enough, enough data, um, and enough, um, you know, investment into uh, analyzing and understanding that data. I think there's a world where, you know, we are the early warning system of outages. Uh, and even if it's just a couple of minutes, I think that can make a huge difference. Uh, but a lot of this, you know, talk has been about like incidents. I think there's also that value outside of incidents. So, in, you know, 20, 
2023 and 2024. Um, how can we help our customers hold their vendors more accountable? Um, you know, what mm -hmm. kind of reporting and analytics can we give them? How can we be an independent authority where you can't uh, deny the data uh, that we have? And I think that comes with aggregation across customers and having this, you know, black box, you know, it, not impacted by implementation uh, point of view. And so use yeah, that. How many times use, have you heard vendors argue about whether or not a company failed their SLA or not? And, absolutely. And I mean, you want a third party vendor uh, confirm one way or the other, which what your SLA really was during the specified period. At, Absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the other reasons we started Metrist is, you know, while I was working for a prior employer, uh, I was uh, doing an executive briefing for a very large customer ahead of their contract renewal. The sales team brought me in and brought in one of our leaders from the engineering org. And we sat in their office thinking we were going to have, you know, a fun conversation about how great everything is. And they said, hey, look, your reliability was pretty rough last quarter. And if you want us to resign this contract, uh, you need to get better. And that itself wasn't the problem. We appreciate it when we hear those kind of things because we want to be better. The problem was that we didn't have data that agreed. So all of our data said, no, we had a really reliable quarter. And the customer said, well, we have, you know, examples of days and times when we don't think your product was available to us mm -hmm. and our data didn't match up. And to this day, I can't tell you who was right. I can't tell you if my employer was right or if the customer was right. And so Metrist wants to be that independent authority on SLA that says, hey, look, let's let's let Metrist determine. Uh, you know, who's right and if this product was available or not. And not just because it's better to have it be a third party, but because Metrist is positioned to have the data that can prove that without it being, you know, speculation or without it having any kind of bias. And so if we can do that, we really think we can help you, you know, not only have better relationships with your current vendors, but also uh, pick vendors better based on data. Uh, before you uh, enter a relationship with them. And then finally, you know, how can we connect uh, vendors and their customers together? So, you know, we'll know that we have been successful when cloud vendors are saying, we want Metris to be the authority on SLA. And we want to know, we want them to tell us when our customers are having problems with our product. And we want the customer to know as well. Uh, when we get to that level of transparency, that's when we'll know we've we, we've done what we've set out to do. That's that's fantastic. Well, thank you very much. We're, we're out of time here, but uh, but I really appreciate this conversation. This was great. I'm glad we caught up with each other at reInvent and decided to do, to do this. And and thank you very much. Uh, well, you know, you're welcome. And the, the thanks is all mine to you. I, I appreciate the, the work you do uh, for our industry. I'm, you know, it's glad to have worked with you and glad we can stay in touch. And it was absolutely fantastic seeing you at reInvent and talking to you today. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll, we'll do another episode in, you know, in a year and we'll compare notes and see where you're, where you're at and we'll, we'll go from there. Anyway, sounds great. My guest today is Jeff Martins, who is the co-founder and CEO of Metris, which is not a customizable observability platform, but a third-party data aggregation observability platform. Jeff, thank you for talking to me today on Modern Digital Business. 
Thanks for listening to the Modern Digital Business Podcast hosted by Lee Atchison. Know a fellow technology leader and innovator struggling to make their business transition to a digital one? Encourage them to head to mdb.fm forward slash listen to subscribe to this podcast or visit leeatchison.com to learn more about Lee and his team. Atchison and Ken Gervanovich, my co-author on the book, Business Breakthrough 3.0. I think you're going to love this book. If you've wondered how your subconscious mind is like your business, this book is for you. Ken, what do you think? Yes, I think the subconscious mind, because again, businesses are simply a collection of people, but how do you get that enterprise agility? How do you get that spark factor that takes a company from 300 to 500 million? How do you build something from, you know, you and I are putting our desks together to 200 million. There's absolutely five distinct processes. But Lee, I almost think about it, the simpler part is, um, you know, it's really that kind of the, the definitive guide, at least that's our hope, right? For overcoming entrenched patterns and building a highly profitable business that most importantly attracts and retains people who truly love their job. It's coming out on Amazon and all of the major platforms that where you can buy business and technical books. It's coming out in hardcover, softcover, Kindle, ebook format, and it's coming out on Audible and on iTunes. So you'll have no excuse not to read, listen, or or otherwise consume this book. Yes, and um, the exciting part again is we're hoping that this will have a huge impact. We've already got some great feedback from early readers. And once again, the book is Business Breakthrough 3.0 by Ken Gavranovich and Lee Atchison. Hope you enjoy. <laughs>